Good morning. I'm John, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 4th. There are a lot of fun and interesting what-ifs in wrestling history. What if Hulk Hogan had resisted turning heel in 96 and forming the NWO? Would Hall, Nash, and likely replacement Sting have made the same impact? What if the natural Butch Reed didn't miss a June 87 taping of WWF Superstars? Would the Honky Tonk Man have ever been the Intercontinental Champion at all, let alone have that record 454-day reign? What if China had bent to Vince's wishes and turned down posing for Playboy? Would Vince really have gone through with his promise to make her WWF World Champion and therefore the hood ornament of the company? What if Brock didn't end the streak, or Stone Cold never got hurt, or The Rock never left for Hollywood? How different would the wrestling world have been? Today happens to be the anniversary of an event that could have made the wrestling landscape very, very different. What 1975 event nearly changed the world of wrestling forever? Hey there, if you're listening to this, then chances are you love wrestling. And if you care to continue the conversation with me, John, and other listeners of this show, then I invite you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. Just search for Daily Wrestling News Show or go to facebook.com slash groups slash wrestling news show and click join. We cannot wait to meet you there. The group is brand new, so if you're one of the first to join, don't be afraid to say hi. Now, on with the show. On this day in 1975, six men boarded a tiny twin-engine Cessna Model 310 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Pilot Joseph Michael Farkas was tasked with delivering his five passengers to a sold-out show that night, a mere 200 miles away, at Wilmington's Legion Stadium. Among Farkas's travelers were Jim Crockett Promotions announcer David Crockett, former NFL linebacker-turned-wrestler Bob Brugers, Tim Woods, a.k.a. the mass superstar Mr. Wrestling, Johnny Valentine, the NWA U.S. heavyweight champion and top star of Jim Crockett Promotions, and a 26-year-old Ric Flair. Not yet the nature boy. In fact, he had only captured his first singles title, the Mid-Atlantic TV Championship, earlier that year. The flight was supposed to be a routine 45-minute jump from the heart of North Carolina to the coast. No big deal, right? Well, there were some early issues. Pilot Farkas, a Vietnam veteran, had to give a little extra effort just to get the diminutive craft off the ground in Charlotte. Not terribly surprising, though, given the sheer bulk of the five men in tow, but after not moving his passengers around to distribute their weight evenly, Farkas made what would turn out to be the very costly error of dumping fuel to lighten the load at the start of the trip. Valentine was the first to notice that the plane had run out of gas because he was seated next to the pilot. He didn't panic though, the right engine was still running and they were cleared for visual approach of the runway. The champ turned to his cohorts and said, guess what, we're out of fuel, and proceeded to laugh. Farkas reached for the appropriate lever and switched to the reverse fuel tank, only to find that it was empty as well. Just then the right engine sputtered to a stop, the nose dipped, and the small craft began to drop, quote, like a rock, as Mr. Wrestling would later put it. The pilot started screaming, but Valentine put a stop to that with a quick slap to return him to his senses. The champ then began assuring his companions that it would be alright. As his wife recalled in a later interview though, this was coming more from a place of hubris than knowledge. Valentine really thought he was indestructible. David Crockett recalls being scared to death, and coincidentally, like a character in a Kevin Smith movie, he wasn't even supposed to be there that day. David had subbed in for his brother Jimmy, who was struggling with the flu. David decided to cover for his brother because it was just a 45-minute jaunt to Wilmington. Farkas managed to level out the plane at about 4,000 feet, 
and slowed the plane's speed as much as he could in preparation for impact. Crockett maintains that they would have landed relatively safely if they had just cleared that one more stretch of trees in the orchard they were passing over, as just beyond the orchard was a clearing that led to the runway they were meant to land on. But the trees would not allow it. As they began clipping branches, Farkas's efforts to level out the plane were foiled. The nose dipped, and Flair recalls that they, quote, hit the ground like an arrow, end quote. Despite the pilot's best efforts to slow them, they were still traveling between 85 and 100 miles an hour, and just about the length of a football field from the runway. Upon impact, the seats broke free and sent the four rear passengers and their luggage slamming forward into Farkas and Valentine. Valentine braced with his arms straight into the dashboard, but pinned between the dash and the cascade of fellow passengers and baggage, the force would break his back in three places. He was scheduled to face NWA World Heavyweight Champion Jack Briscoe the next week at the Greensboro Coliseum. But with bone fragments wedged in his spine, he would be paralyzed from the waist down, and his career was over in a flash. All six men survived the initial impact and were rushed to Wilmington's New Hanover County Hospital. Seated next to Valentine, Farkas suffered severe cranial injuries. Surgery was performed in an attempt to save his life, but he would slip into a coma and succumb to his injuries two months later. Woods suffered a concussion and broke several ribs as Crockett collided with him from behind. Crockett suffered a head injury, was busted open around the mouth, and dislocated his shoulder. Both Brugger's and Flair would break their backs as well. Brugger's had a steel rod inserted into his spinal column and spent a month in the hospital. He would never wrestle again. Crockett had his lips stitched up and his shoulder was properly set, but his mouth hurt so much that even days removed, he couldn't eat or even drink. A trip to the dentist solved that mystery. He had shattered two teeth, and according to his dentist, the corresponding nerves were, quote, just sitting there, exposed. Flair was told he would miss a year of action, but he wrestled six months later. The rehab from the crash led to Flair slimming down considerably. If you've seen pictures of him from before the crash, with his head shaved, dark stubble on top, and the hulking physique of a quintessential vaudeville strongman, not only is he massive, but damn near unrecognizable. After the crash and recovery, he was forced to change the way he wrestled. Out was the brawling physical style of his youth, and in was the scientific mat-based form that would make him famous. The MVP of the crash, however, might have been Woods. These were the days of protecting kayfabe at all costs, and the original Mr. Wrestling was the lone babyface on a plane traveling with his arch-rival Valentine. Amid the chaos of the crash and life-saving efforts, Tim Woods, as he was known in the industry, made sure to repeatedly give his birth name, George Wooden, to save his character from being linked to the crash otherwise full of heels. Beyond that, when rumors began circulating in the business that Woods was in fact part of the crash, and with no easy way of proving otherwise as long as he wasn't performing, Woods bit the bullet and returned to the ring just two weeks removed from the crash. With multiple broken ribs still on the mend, he did so while in extreme pain. Flair would go on to say in his autobiography that Woods was, quote, more than just Mr. Wrestling on that day. He was the man who saved wrestling, end quote. While Woods would retire not long after, Flair obviously went on to have one of, if not the best wrestling career in the history of the business. And as scary as everything I've just said is, there's one more fact about that fateful day that I haven't touched on. When the plane initially loaded up, Flair was seated next to the pilot. Not long into the flight, he began complaining that he was none too thrilled with being so close to the action. Valentine quickly grew tired of hearing about it and volunteered to switch seats. Imagine the world of professional wrestling 
if Ric Flair had not switched seats with Johnny Valentine and suffered an equal or worse fate. Imagine the gaping hole in the industry of professional wrestling where the Nature Boy's platinum locks and sequined robes now reside. Sure, the show would have gone on like it always does in the wrestling industry, and other champions would have been crowned, and or other champions would have had their reigns extended. But would anyone's career have approached the legendary status of Ric Flair? What if indeed? There's a world we don't have to imagine, but almost did, because of the events that took place on this day in 1975. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 4th, 2022. We'll see you tomorrow.